Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. If you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one and you're comfortable, just raise my raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can also open up your smart device and open up the U version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures, everything but pictures have already been uploaded. Of course, we'll also put them up there on the screen. If you're watching us at one of our other gatherings, if you're online, love you guys and so glad that you are a part of our family. As you've seen, of course, we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about something that I think is so relevant, I think is so necessary, where I think is so taboo almost even in our culture. We're spending 10 weeks talking about feelings. And I'm not going to obviously speak all of them. Pastor Dallas did an amazing job last week. He's going to do at least one more. Uh, Pastor Sonny, Pastor Becky, and Pastor Barry, they're all going to do one. But today, I want to talk about one that was really important for me to do myself. I want to share a message we're calling the Great Depression. Let's pray. God, we love you and we honor you. We're grateful to you. God, thank you that you are our rock and our refuge, a very present help in a time of trouble. God, I pray for my friends in this place who um, may be in the midst of a whole different collection of feelings. God, in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of a wrestling match, God, I pray for freedom in this place. I pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts, that you'd open our ears, that you'd allow us to overcome any obstacles that you help us to overcome any distractions, God. God, as people tune in from this part of the country and from all over the world, God, I pray that you'd overcome cultural barriers and language barriers and that your message uh, would go out clearly and concisely. That, God, when we're done with this, we'd be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Depression, it's debilitating. Winston Churchill, who famously struggled with it, called it the black dog. He felt like it hunted him. It haunted him. At one point, Abraham Lincoln was so depressed, he said, I'm now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there wouldn't be one cheerful face on earth. To remain as I am, it is impossible. I must either die or get better. A couple years ago, the New York Post published an article about a mental health crisis at Yale University. In the article, psychology professor Lori Santos said more than half of their undergraduate students were seeking treatment from the university for their mental health for depression. This is Yale, one of the most elite established institutions in the world. It proves that depression, it's debilitating and it's everywhere. It's in small towns, in big cities, schools and businesses, governments and even churches. I got a wake-up call a few years ago when a 30-year-old pastor of a megachurch in California took his own life, leaving behind three young kids, a grieving wife, and a 
confused, broken church. He seemed like he had everything you'd want, money, a beautiful family, influence, thousands of people in his church, thousands of followers on social, but it wasn't enough. He was hurting, broken, empty. He was depressed. And so I decided that I needed to learn more about the topic. And let me start by saying, I am not an expert. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. I'm a pastor. But because of my role, I felt like I had a responsibility. And so what I want to do is I want to start by giving you my perspective from my position. And then I want to show you some input from the scriptures, because believe it or not, scripture says quite a bit about this topic. First, these, these are just some things that I've discovered in my research, in, in my study. Depression, it's a mood disorder characterized by something called anhedonia. That's a Greek word that literally means without pleasure. It's a chemical deficiency that, that hinders our ability to experience pleasure. It, it hinders our ability to experience joy. It takes things that used to bring us pleasure, and it sort of deactivates them. And when it deactivates those areas of pressure, it then in turn activates things like extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. And when I see those symptoms, I think, oh my gosh, everyone I know is on that list somewhere. We all deal with those issues at times. In fact, depression is one of the biggest health problems in the world right now. One in nine adults in America are currently on an antidepressant. One in five have been at some point in their life, present company included. I have suffered with, struggled with this my my whole life, I, I have run from this thing my whole life. It's not something that men talk about particularly. It's not, it's, it's not, it's taboo for men to talk about their feelings. It's taboo for men to tell you that they're in a moment of weakness or that they're in a, in a struggle, that they're, that they're in a fight. And I, I used to suffer from, uh, this disorder called social anxiety disorder. Now, I was traveling the world speaking in front of uh, huge crowds week in and week out, and it was literally driving me insane. Uh, by the time that I came off the road, uh, I was preaching in arenas, and, and, uh, and I can't describe to you the feeling of speaking in an arena. You can only understand it when you've experienced, but, but in an arena, you, you, you're on a stage and you're looking in blackness. You can't see anyone. You can't hear anyone. You can't feel anyone. It's like speaking inside of a phone booth. It's literally like speaking to a void. It's emotionless. And, and I would come off of these stages having spoken in front of these huge crowds and, and I would go back to my room and, and I would have these, this, these fits of anxiety. I, I, would have, I, I would have like panic attacks. I, I would feel like someone was following me, like someone was watching me. I would, I, I would, uh, I would go into my room and, and I, would, uh, I would put the lock on and the chain on or the little bar thing on. I'd put my, the little uh, tag on the outside of the door. Oftentimes I'd take a chair and I'd put the chair up against the door. I'd take a towel and I'd put a towel underneath the door so no light could come in because I felt, I felt like someone was following me. I, I don't know why they would be following, but I was, I was paranoid. I had this these feelings of this, it's great euphoria. And, and, and all I could describe it, and this sounds so passe, it sounds so self-serving, but when you listen to interviews about uh, 
performers who commit suicide. This is why they commit suicide. Because they have these huge euphoric moments. Chris Cornell had the greatest performance of his life in Detroit one night, and that very same night, he, he hung himself theoretically with an exercise band. You have these, these huge moments of euphoria, and then you have these, these dark, dark moments where it feels like you're so alone. It, it was literally driving me crazy, and I was medicated. And, and the people that I loved, they knew that I was medicated. And so when I would act irrationally, which I often would, they would just simply ask me if I'd taken my pill. Because <laughs> guys, this is a problem. It's a silent assassin. It's a tool, a tact of the, of the enemy, and he's using it to steal our joy. And by stealing our joy, he's stolen our strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the reason it's a silent assassin is because it carries such a negative stigma. I mean, if I told you today that I'm not feeling very well, like if I had a headache or, or if I had a fever or if I had a sore throat, none of you would look at me any less. But if I stood here today and I told you that I don't feel right in the head, that I'm struggling with mental illness, then you, 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 might, you might think that I was Jack Torrance from The Shining, like, here's Johnny. <laughs> but listen. We have to get rid of that label. We have to get rid of that stigma because it's causing us to hide our hurt. But sick is sick, whether it's in your body or it's in your brain. And it is not a sin to be sick. Now, your illness is your illness, but it's not your identity. And I want to talk about this in church because church can be one of those places where we try to put on our very best, where we try to, where we try to look good, like we try to look like we got it all together. But sometimes that can create this false image where people think, wow, that's a bunch of perfect people who have everything all together, when truthfully, we don't. So I want you to hear me loud and clear. It's okay for you not to be okay. God doesn't want you to stay not okay, but if we don't acknowledge that it's okay for you not to be okay, we'll never get any help. I, I want you to hear this straight from my mouth. It is okay for you not to be okay. I am not always okay. So if you're kicking the tires and you're trying to figure out if Life Church is a good fit for you, I want you to know up front, you have found a place where we are all working through some stuff, where we all have a few hangups and hiccups. We all have messed up, and we all are messed up in some way. Some of us just got to this hospital a little earlier than you. So I want this place to be an environment where it's okay for us to express what's going on inside, because if we don't create an environment where it's okay for you not to be okay, you're going to hide it, and that's where all the problems really begin, because secrets grow in secret. Can we just start asking each other questions? Can we just start loving each other enough to look at each other and just say, like, bro, what's happening? Like, guy, hey, what's, hey, 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 what's going on? Is, is, is everything okay? And when I think about this, it makes me wonder, like, how did all this happen? Like, how did it, it feels like, it feels like this snuck up on us. Like, how is it that we got here? Here's what I've discovered. Depression is largely lifestyle related. It's not my opinion. There's a brilliant TED talk on this topic by Dr. Stephen Illard. And in that talk, he says, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. Hello, is that America or what? And he says, this isn't perceived, this is proven. Our lifestyle is physiologically, physically reshaping and reforming our brains. 
And one of the things that's affecting the most is our ability to process pain. We are trying to process our pain in private. So that makes us try to self-medicate. We try to eat it away or drink it away, smoke it away or watch it away. And our seclusion is just adding to our struggles. Then add in the fact that this generation is insistent upon having peer-to-peer mentoring and it swells the storm to tsunami proportions. We were never meant to have peer-to-peer mentoring. I mean, if as a 15-year-old I'd listened to all the other 15-year-olds in my life, I'd never be on this stage today. When I was 15, all every other 15-year-old dude wanted to do was make me feel bad. All every other 15-year-old dude wanted to do was make me feel like I was inferior to them. God didn't design kids to mentor kids through Instagram or Snap or YouTube. It was always his plan for us to have elder to youth mentoring. But the problem is that hit a roadblock when such a huge percentage of our older generation became arrested in development and refused to grow up. So I am challenging some of you older people to get in the game, get into the lives of younger people. One of the things I love about not being here all the time is when I come back around, man, I am shocked how different this church looks from week to week. Like what Pastor Dallas and Pastor Becky and Pastor Keith, like, uh, like the people that they are attracting, they're different than the people that I was attracting. They're just like younger and cooler and wear tighter clothes and they're better look. I no offense to you people who came when I was the main guy here, but like, it's like, they're just young and they're just like, they're worshiping. And like, I stand over there and I go, where did all these millennials come? Like, this is, this is amazing. There's so many of them. And can I tell you that younger people want it, cherish it, desire it. They're desperate to be mentored, to be taught, to be trained. But too many of us are busy standing around complaining while allowing the creation of a selfie generation. And it has gotten out of control. We are too focused on ourselves. And it's reshaping and reforming our brains. And the results of that are deadly. Literally. Did you know that the suicide rate is double the murder rate? A million people per year take their own lives. It's the number one killer of kids between the ages of 15 and 24, and it was only magnified during COVID. Did you know that one of the side effects of COVID among adolescent young men, young men between the ages of 12 and 22, is that it, 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 when they contracted COVID, it did something metabolically inside of their brains and it blocked the transmitters that communicate joy in their brains. And young men who contracted COVID, I don't know why it wasn't just young, uh, young people, but young adolescent boys, it, it, it inhibited because the devil's trying to kill an entire generation of men of God, by the way. And it blocked the inhibitors that communicated joy. And in young men between the ages of 12 and 22, there was a 67% increase in suicide. Like, it's a problem. And we need guidance from people who will be real who will talk about it from the other dudes in this room who, although we, we know you got it, man, you got the ink and the tax and the car or the bike or whatever, the whole, you got, yeah, we, you got it. 
You look like you fight in the UFC, but we know you cry at night just like the rest of us. And when, when people begin to, we begin to step up and begin to admit that they've got the same strains, they've got the same struggles, they've gone through the same trials, they've gone through the same tribulation, suddenly there'll be an unlocking where a move of God will happen that we never even imagined could happen. And there's been this massive increase in the suicide rate. And can I tell you that I've been there? Even though suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem, I have inexplicably had those same thoughts. I have struggled with, wrestled with those thoughts, hiding my hurt, hoping that healing would come from heaven because I was too embarrassed to tell anyone else that I struggled with that strife. And guys, I wish that I could tell you it was 20 years ago. But like two months ago, I'm walking to Seattle and I'm like, bro, you know, I feel like I need a beard trim because, you know, beard's looking ratty and felt like Seattle's a better place than most to be able to get your beard trimmed. Feels like they know what's going down. <laughs> so I went into this like high-end barbershop and the guy, it's like I was being pampered by this guy. It's like this guy and I, like he owed me money or something. <laughs> he started brushing my beard out. He washed my beard, just, you know, he got, you know, underneath and just started just scratching it out, put conditioner in it, took his blow dryer. He, I got a blow out. Like was, I looked like the cowardly lion. It was like, whoa, my beard never looked so big in my life. He took the beard, man. He smoothed it down. He laid me back, took my head, massaged my head. You ever see the Bugs Bunny with Elmer Fudd where Bugs Bunny is the barber? That was me. He was, he was massaging my head and had like the oils and stuff on it. I was like, I don't know what's going on. This is amazing, but this is, I don't know how much this is going to cost, but this is, a, this is amazing. And then he had, did the head massage and he laid me back and he took a straight razor and he was going to line me up and he put that razor right here. And in my mind, I thought, all you got to do is this. I said, whoa, 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 hold up. Hey, hey, uh, you think you could do that with the clippers? Because I'm not comfortable with you doing that with the straight razor. And it wasn't because I was afraid of him. It was because I was afraid of me. And it is an inexplicable feeling that I just wanted healing from heaven, but I couldn't communicate it because for a long time, my emotions would just come crashing in like a wave and a wave and a wave and a wave. And I was rolled and rocked by the force of those waves, losing my footing, losing my breath, losing my sight of the shore, feeling like I was being swept out to sea until I spoke up. And when I spoke up, sanity spoke back. And it said, just like the waves crashed in, they have to recede. Emotions never stay. They ebb and they flow. They roll in and they recede. So listen to me. Somebody's life depends on them hearing this right now. Do not give up. Do not give in. You do not have to end your life to end your pain. I understand. Trust me. I understand. Your pain is real, but it will recede. And if you don't have anyone to talk to or like me, you just want to remain anonymous, write this number down. It's 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Line. And there are trained people 24 hours a day, seven days a week who are sitting there waiting to talk to people like you. 
because this is an epidemic. So that's what I've learned about it, but I want to talk to you about what God's word says about it because I want you to know that God is not silent on this subject because some of the greatest people of faith were people who went through really trying, tormenting, distressing, depression-type times. This book is filled with people who are messed up. This book is filled with people who struggled with anxiety and insecurity. It was filled with people who had deep depression. There's an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations where Jeremiah just talks about his depression. Uh, let me share just one section of it. It's in Lamentations 3. He says, I've been deprived of peace and I've forgotten. That's, that's an important word that sometimes we just skip by. He said, uh, I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor and all I'd hoped from the Lord are gone, which is a dangerous place to be where your hopes are gone. And watch this. He says, I remember my affliction and wandering, my bitterness and my gall, which is his problem, by the way. He was doing what psychologists call ruminating. It's a disorder we create where we just sit and think, where we just sit and stew, where we don't allow any outside voices, where we have self-talk, where we start creating things that just aren't true. Ruminating, it's the same word where we get the idea of a cow chewing its cud. Chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. Chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. Well, you know my mom is. Chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. You know my dad is. My wife is. My husband is. My kids this or my boss that. Chew it, swallow it, regurgitate it. And when you do that, you start lying to yourself, ruminating, remembering the wrong things. And so he says, I remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Of course it is. He's remembering the wrong things. Here's how St. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I was under great pressure far beyond my ability to endure. Watch this. I despaired even of life. Did you catch that? This is the great saint apostle Paul who wrote half the New Testament who's saying he's having the same thoughts that some of you are having. What I'm trying to communicate is it's okay, it's real. He understands and we understand. We don't think it's strange that you're going through this. We just think it's scary that you're going through it alone. So I wanna finish this message with a pretty famous story from the scriptures about a guy named Elijah. And it kinda of starts in 1 Kings 18. Elijah had one of the most famous victories in all of the Bible. He, he has a face-off with 400 evil prophets. And, and Elijah says, here's what we're gonna do. You worship your God, Baal, and I'll worship my God, God, and, and we'll both make sacrifices, and whoever's God responds will be the one true God for all of time. It was like the rumble in the jungle, like the thriller in Manila. And so the evil 400 prophets, they cut up some animals, they built an altar, and they prayed that Baal would send fire from heaven, which he did not do. So after making fun of them, Elijah said, hey, dig a ditch around mine, uh, drench it with water just so you can make it more difficult. Then he prayed and God burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and all the dirt around the altar. God wins, Baal loses. It was huge. It was one of the biggest victories of all time. Elijah was on cloud nine. Then chapter 19. Right after his highest of highs, Elijah has his lowest of lows, which happens more often than you think. I mean, the devil attacks me more on Sunday nights than any other 
day of the week, this place could be packed. Tons of people could start their Jesus journey, and I'll go back and focus on one sentence and think, God, I probably shouldn't have said that. And as I think about that sentence, I'll let the devil mess with my head, speak death over me. And so I've told my closest friends to keep up with me, to check up on me, because if I'm going to have a lowest of lows, it's going to come right after that. It's going to come right after my highest of highs. So I, I, uh, Pastor Barry, my friend here, he, he usually spends Sunday afternoons with me just so I won't be alone in my thoughts. Some of you are thinking, this dude, is this dude really that crazy? He's, like, I feel like I'm presenting myself like Jack Nicholson in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, like me and Chief are going to throw the sink out of the window. You go, did he just make the second Jack Nicholson? Yes, I did just make the second Jack Nicholson reference. He just plays a great crazy guy. So here's what happened in chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. You ever prayed that prayer? I've had enough? When they start talking about monkeypox, did you start saying, my God, I've not even passed COVID yet. Like, God, I still haven't drank up all the COVID water. Now I got to go buy monkey pop water. Like, are you kidding me, God? God, it's enough. How many that um, pandemics can we possibly go through? God, you better not let monkey pox come to it. You ever pray, God, you better not. You ever pray a bet not prayer to God? It's like, this was Elijah God. He says, enough. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So I want to leave you with four things that I see in this text, four things that caused Elijah to go through his lowest of lows. Here's the first. He had faulty thinking. When he heard that Jezebel was going to kill him, he was afraid. He ran for his life, even though God was just with him, even though he had just given him victory over 400 evil prophets. He was afraid of what one person would do to him. And we do that. We get inside our own minds. We have this negative self-talk. We start lying to ourselves. We start rehearsing the negative. We start ruminating. And rather than remembering our victories, we start rehashing our failures. We start wallowing in our worry. We start thinking, oh, I wonder if this might happen, or oh, I wonder if that might happen, which, by the way, almost never happens. Most of the stuff we spend energy and emotions worrying about never happen. Rehearsing, rehashing, ruminating. Rehearsing, rehashing, renuminating. It's why scripture says, whatever is true and noble, right and pure, lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of praise, think about those things. It's why we do Journey to Wholeness. It reverses your thinking. And if you'll do that, if you'll reverse your thinking and listen to the voice of God, words of God, and wisdom of God, you can live inside the peace of God. Here's the second thing that caused Elijah to go through the lowest of lows is he isolated himself. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Danger Will Robinson. He never should have done that, but we do it all the time. We metaphorically go into this wilderness by ourselves, but life was not meant to be lived alone. From the very beginning, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Some of you are isolated, which incidentally you can be while you're still sitting right next to someone. You can be surrounded by people and still be alone. You could be simultaneously surrounded and secluded because you're silent about your struggle. And that is some of you. 
Your voice has become the only voice you're listening to, but when you're not feeling right, you're the last person you should be taking advice from because you can't trust yourself. So you can't isolate yourself. It's why we have life groups. They're not a luxury. They're a necessity. You have to have a place where you can be real. You have to have someone in your life who knows your secrets. You don't have to tell everyone, but you do have to tell someone. Somebody needs to know what you're thinking about, or the devil is going to exploit your feelings in a moment of weakness. But if you can just get into a group of people and get real, if you could just take the mask off and say, guys, listen, no one knows this, but you're going to find a, a, a whole lot of other people are going to say, really? I thought I was the only person thinking that, or I thought I was the only person who was feeling that. It's why scripture says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. We all need someone to have our back because if we do, We'll conquer those negative thoughts and those negative emotions. And if two is good, three are even better because a triple braided cord isn't easily broken. Whatever you do, don't isolate yourself. Here's the third thing that caused Elijah to go through the lowest of lows is that he was led by his feelings. He trusted the wrong thing. Feelings have a funny way of lying to us. Again, emotions are like waves. They smash in and sweep out. And incidentally, it's true of bad ones and good ones. We can't build our lives on feelings. We have to build our lives on truth. And that truth comes from Scripture. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I try to spend time in that truth every day. For me, it's first thing in the morning. I have a spot where I, I sit with my coffee, my Bible, and my journal. However it is that you do it, just do it. Don't be led or misled by your feelings. Here's the last thing that caused Elijah to go through his lowest of lows, is that he played the comparison game. Hmm. He said, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. And we certainly do this all the time. We are experts at playing the comparison game. Social media is terrible for this because we end up comparing our miserable moments to other people's highlight reels. You cannot measure life by Instagram. Nobody posts pictures of their hood sink with a caption, OMG, look how messy my kitchen is right now. <laughs> they post pictures of the kitchen remodel that you can't afford and it makes you feel small. So listen, nobody's life is as good as it looks on Instagram. Not mine, not theirs, not yours. Could we please stop trying to impress each other and just start trying to embrace each other? Because as Pastor Sonny says, comparison, it is the great crippler. Or the Apostle St. Paul, he says it like this, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? Because if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't even be a servant of Christ. This is Paul. And he couldn't be more clear. I can't serve God and be a people pleaser at the same time, and neither can you. So just stop. Fix your faulty thinking. Stop isolating yourself. Stop living by your feelings and quit playing the comparison game. You were uniquely created to be you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are for good and not for bad. They are to give you a future and a hope. And the question is, will you receive that truth today, that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that God's plan for you 
is for hope. I know you're hurting, but healing is here. Hope is here and his name is Jesus. Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know, there's some of you in here who are so downtrodden. And you're not just emotionally depressed. You're not just emotionally being held captive. You are spiritually depressed. You are spiritually being held captive. You feel like you are in a spiritual vacuum and a spiritual void, like you are speaking into the darkness and there is no feeling, there is no feedback. But can I tell you that inside that darkness is the light and the light will overcome the darkness if you just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the Bible says, if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And so before our emotions can receive hope, our spirit needs to receive hope. And that comes in the form of salvation. And so today I want to give you the opportunity to receive that. And here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. The first is I'm going to ask for nobody looking around for people who don't have a right connection with Jesus to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. And then I'm going to ask for everyone in this place to repeat a few lines after me in a prayer. I'm going to pray a few lines in a prayer. I'm going to pause. And if you pray those lines and you mean them in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here today and you are in a spiritual depression, a void, and you just need the light of Jesus to speak into that and rescue you, save you, you need to commit your life to him with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thank you. Thanks, 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 thank you, thanks. Did I miss anybody? Okay, I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it. Will you take it? Will you cleanse it? Will you change me? Will you forgive me? Will you be my Lord? Will you be my Savior? In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus person. I have committed my life to him but you, you are in, a, in an emotional void, an emotional vacuum. You, you struggle with anxiety or you, you struggle with you know, what I would call depression. And you say, Sean, I, it's silent for some of you, uh, but you say, Sean, I've struggled with this and I would like you to pray for me with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand right now? So God, today for these people in this room who I feel underwater, some of them, who feel helpless and hopeless, who, who feel like they're drowning, like they're suffocating, like there's no help, like there's no hope. Right now, I pray against the spirit of depression in Jesus' name. God, we bind that demonic spirit in Jesus name that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world that you have made us more than conquerors that you are the joy and the light of our salvation and darkness cannot sustain 
the light. So I pray that the light of Christ, that the power of the Holy Spirit would flow into their hearts and into their minds, even now, God, and that you would break those shackles, that you would shatter those chains, and that joy unspeakable and filled with glory would overwhelm their lives in this service and over the course of the next number of days. Finally, with every head bowed and every eye closed, one of the great sacraments of the church. There's two really in the liturgical church. There's Holy Communion and Baptism in Water. Uh, today we're going to participate in the second of those sacraments, and it is uh, water baptism. And I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, I've, I've, uh, I've never partaken in water baptism as an adult. Here at Life Church, we, we take part in what you would call biblical baptism, which what that means is that it is done by immersion where you're completely submerged in water and uh, it is done uh, to people who are old enough to make a conscious decision to do so. There are 27 baptisms in the Bible and all of them have something in common that they are all done after a person has made a conscious decision to commit their lives to Jesus. Many of them were actually done spontaneously, actually, immediately after somebody uh, received Christ, like many of you did today. And so if you're here today and you have never taken part in uh, baptism by immersion as an adult, and you would like to do that, there's a number of people who have come here already prepared to do that. But if you didn't come here prepared to do that, we came prepared for you to do that. We've got towels, we've got t-shirts. And so if you've never been baptized as an adult and you would like to, then all you've got to do is uh, go to the uh, Welcome Center. So with every head bowed and every head closed, if you're in here and you say, Sean, I've never been baptized by immersion as an adult, but I'd like to today with nobody looking around, would you just pop your hand up real quick just so we kind of know who, thanks, cool, thanks, 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 I love it. Just uh, show up at the uh, Welcome Center and they'll give you a shirt and uh, we'll have towels by the, by the tub. God, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the joy of our light, the light of our salvation. We pray that over my friends in this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.